I don't think many people can say unexpected whale shark. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a love for all things animal. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, volunteers, anyone who is as passionate about animals as I am. Join me on my Ross Safari. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Ross Safari Podcast. I'm so excited to have you back with me and want to thank you all for the incredible support you've been giving this podcast. The number of downloads and messages from fans has far exceeded my greatest expectations from when I launched this, and it really means the world to me. Before we get going on today's episode, just a quick reminder, if you're enjoying this podcast, please click subscribe and take a moment to leave a five-star rating. This helps people find the podcast, and y'all know everyone should hear about the amazing work being done by the incredible zoo staff I talk to. Also, a written review really helps with that goal. You can also support the podcast at www.patreon.com slash rossafari, where you can become a monthly supporter and get a bunch of cool bonuses. We're talking full extra episodes here, people. The Patreon and the merch at rossafari.redbubble.com will help keep the podcast ad-free for now. You can also check out the website at www.rossafari.com and hit up at Rossafari on all the major social media platforms. Today, I am bringing you the first of a two-part interview with Kara McSweeney. Kara is a hoofstock keeper at, well, I can't tell you that. One of the interesting things I didn't anticipate when I started this podcast is that oftentimes I, or my interview subjects, would have to get permission from the PR teams at the zoos in question before recording the episode. Every zoo has had different roles so far, and the zoo Kara currently works at was happy to let her do the interview as long as we didn't mention their name. I was happy to oblige, but if you notice it missing in these two episodes, that is why. Still, I'm incredibly grateful to them for allowing me to talk to Kara, because it was an amazing time. Kara and I both have the habit of going off on tangents, and we really clicked when we chatted. We clicked so well, in fact, that the actual interview ran over three hours in length. I've edited it down to two normal-length episodes, but I have to thank Kara for what was a truly enjoyable evening, especially during these crazy and often lonely times of social distancing. Without further ado, here is part one of my interview with Kara McSweeney. All right, so, uh, Kara, I want to thank you for being here. Uh, Excited to have you on the podcast. Um, Who are you and what do you do? I'm Kara. I am a zookeeper. I mostly work with hoofstock. I forget the rest of your question. Was that it? That was it. Who are you and what do you do? Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm Kara, and I work with Hubstock, and that's about it. So uh, why did you decide to start going down this career path? Oh, my gosh. That is a great question. So I, as a child, I feel like everyone at one point or another that loves animals is like, I'm going to be a vet. (laughs) And then there was like a moment, and I don't remember exactly what moment it was, but I remember thinking like, I don't think I can be a vet because I get too sad when animals die. 
So maybe I should do something else. And then part of me was like, maybe I should be a marine biologist. And then the other part of me was like, you're scared of deep water. So maybe that's not <laughs> where we want to go. <laughs> Have you overcome that fear yet? Definitely not. Okay, fair, <laughs> If I fair. cannot see the bottom of any type of water, I don't care what water it is, like I get too nervous. Like even if I'm standing in it and I know that it is five feet deep or four feet deep, if I cannot see what is like below me or around me, it just freaks me out. So I'm the exact opposite. I love when I can't see the bottom of water because in my stupid mind, there's always like a sea turtle hanging out right next to me and I just don't know it. Even if it's like a pool in my stupid brain. (laughs) Uh, And then when I was a sophomore in high school, we had to job shadow. And... And I was like, job shadow, job shadow who? Like, I don't even know what I want to do. Like, all of a sudden, I have to, like, make all these decisions (laughs) about my future. And, like, I don't even know, like, anything that sounds interesting to me. Like, I played field hockey, and my life consisted of, like, field hockey and my childhood dog, you know. And then, like, I didn't have a job because I was playing field hockey. Um, So it was basically all that I did. And then someone, a dad of a girl that went to my grade school. I was like, oh, well, I know a guy that works at the zoo. Does she want a job shot at the zoo? And I was like, job shot at the zoo? Yes. <laughs> so he like gave me the email of this zookeeper. And I was like, hi, um, is this okay? Like, am I allowed to do this like for school? And he was like, totally. Like, come on in at 7 a.m., you know, on Saturday, and we'll, like, show you around. And he, his name's Steve. He um, is a bird keeper. Um, And I, like, was like, okay, cool, great. So I, like, drive myself to the zoo, and then he's, like, showing me around, introducing me to everyone. He's like, do you want to feed some penguins? I was like, do I? (laughs) Of course I do. (laughs) And then they, like, let me clean some holding, you know, exhibits, some holding areas. And then like, we're like, do you want to do some dishes? And I was like, I will do anything. Sure. I'll do dishes. And they're like, really cool. Cause like, you know, we have to do them, but like, nobody likes to do the dishes. And I was like, I will do the dishes. Yes. Hit me with some dishes. I'll do it. I'll make some diets. Here we go. Like, what are, you know, who are we feeding? Who is this for? Like all the things. And then they're like, are you interested in volunteering? We have a Zootin program. I was like, oh, uh, you mean I can come back? Like, sure. <laughs> sure. So I, they were like, well, yeah, you have to like go through the, the volunteer coordinator. So like, here's her right. email and email her and tell her you job shadowed and, you know, you're interested in applying for the Zootine program, whatevs. Um, and I was like, okay, cool. Um, her name was Connie. She was very nice. Um, was like, sure, great. Come on in for an orientation. That's so awesome. it was what, like, what zoo was this? It was Cincinnati. This was yes, Cincinnati. Okay, yes. cool, cool, cool. Uh, oh, I know. <laughs> so then it was like every Saturday, I think from so- like the end of my sophomore year, like into my senior year that like I wasn't playing field hockey, um, that I would go in and, um, you know, volunteer. And they'd like put me, you know, like this exhibit, you know, here's a hose. I'll be over there if you need me. You know, and I was like, okay, my gosh, this feels like you're giving me responsibility, which like, do I deserve it? I'm not sure. And then, um, 
the way, I don't know how they do it now, but the way that they did it, you know, forever ago, um, was like every other day, like one day was fruit diets where they'd prepare fruit diets for that day and the next day. And then, and then like, let's say that was Monday. And then Tuesday, it was like the fish diets that you would make for that day with yesterday's fruit diet and then tomorrow's fish diet. So it was like every other Saturday I would either go in and it was fruit day or fish day. And I can just remember like having to mix up fresh, very cold fruit. Then when I would go home, I would smell like fruit. It was awesome. <laughs> it felt so nice. But then it's the like next Bath and Body Works for but, free. Yeah, and then the next week I would go in and it was fish day. And I did not love going home smelling like fish. And like Handling frozen fish um, or, like, fresh fish and then getting scales, like, underneath my fingernails because, like, um, some of the birds would get vitamins that you would put in the fish and then feed to them. So you got to, like, open up the fish mouth, which is weird to think about, and then put a vitamin in its mouth. And then we would, like, go and feed the birds and be like, okay, make sure everybody gets one from this bucket because these are the vitamin fish and whatnot. So that makes sense. It was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, way cool. And I think there were some days where I, I would wake up and be like, Oh, I just hate getting up this early. But then as soon as I was there, I'm like, I'm having so much fun. So it was like, even though I would like dread the getting up, like being there and being around zookeepers was so cool because like they were so nice to me. And I was just like this, you know, 16, 17 year old kid who was like there to help and like asking questions. That was really nice. I I think I realized during um, my time as a zoo teen, volunteer is what they called it. I think now it's just zoo teen. Um, that I knew that I wanted to work with animals. So you started off and you mm-hmm. were a, a volunteer or mm-hmm. a zoo teen at Sensi. Yes. And then is that what led you to the path of, of like what you studied and everything? Did you study? Did you want to go into this as a profession? Yes. So one of the girls that I volunteered with actually went to Miami University, which is in Ohio, just about an hour north of Cincinnati, an hour-ish, 45 minutes. And they have a zoology major. And I was like, oh. So then I was just like, okay, well, like, I'll apply there. I'll apply to a couple other schools that are, like, a couple – within a couple hours of where I grew up. And we'll see what happens. And then I ended up going to uh, Miami for undergrad and then also um, graduate school. Um, Oh, so you have a graduate degree. I have a graduate degree, which, you know, when I – Also in zoology? Also in zoology. um, The focus of that – degree is in conservation and conservation education. Okay, cool. Yes. Excellent. Because I want to talk about conservation. Okay, cool. That's great. Um, I, when I told my parents I was thinking about grad school, I think both of my parents' jaws like dropped. I was like, well, you can do three conservation trips around the world. So you go to another country, learn about the conservation that they're doing. So you get to travel and there aren't any tests. Um, I studied abroad, and I'll put that like I don't want to say loosely in quotes in undergrad because the course that I did was outdoor leadership um, in New Zealand. Oh, nice! So we were like hiking around the South Island, mostly of New Zealand, 
and like sea kayaking and ice climbing. So, so that was undergrads. So then this, um, through grad school, if, if anybody again wants to look it up, it's the global field program, um, through Miami university's project dragonfly. Um, I am so excited that you just said that my best friend just applied. <gasps> did he really? Dragonfly. Oh, great. She that's did. that's yeah, wonderful. She did. Wonderful. I'm so happy for her. She's going to have a great time. <laughs> So I went to Baja, Mexico. Okay. And then I went to Australia. No, 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 no. And what did we do in Baja, Mexico? Come on. I want to hear all about this. So Baja, Mexico, and we looked at desert ecology and also like desert and sea ecology. So we were there too early in the year. I think we went in May, like late May, too early unfortunately for whale sharks because it was a little too cold i know i still i still feel like even though like i shouldn't feel regret because it's like literally like the way that seasons work but like (laughs) i just want to visit again which like i'm still i still talk to um one of my instructors who was like the in-country guide so like she lives part of the year in baja so i just like i'm gonna come back someday and we're gonna see whale sharks but like you can get in the water and like be like a safe distance from whale sharks which like that's amazing Sounded so awesome, but then also I was like, P.S., I'm afraid of deep water, so, like, here we are. Um, (laughs) So, like, but then we also got to, like, be in the water around sea lions, which was, like, awesome and a little terrifying because I'm like, these sea lions are so beautiful and, like, this is beautiful and everything that's happening around us is, like, so cool. And also, like, I'm looking down to be like, oh, my God, please don't, like, get just dragged under <laughs> to right. the depths of the Sea of Cortez by who knows what. <laughs> Good for you though. Like that's like your big fear, but you were just like, screw it, I'm gonna do it anyway. Well, because like you can't experience. you can't go. I mean, you could go and just sit on the boat, but like No, come yeah, on. you just you overcame it. <laughs> yeah. Good for you. That's well, awesome. Well, and then that's it really got impressive. it got I don't want to say better or worse in the next year when I went to Australia because I got scuba certified pre Australia oh, wow. and then went scuba diving. While we were doing, so we could do, we were doing reef assessments for okay. um, Reef HQ. Shout out to Reef HQ in Townsville, um, Queensland. Um, huh, I'll have to check them out. Oh my gosh, do, because they're wonderful. Everyone is wonderful. Um, and we were doing reef assessments for them. So you could do it snorkeling, stay on the surface, or you could scuba. Um, if you were scuba certified, you could dive and do like lower reef assessments depending on where we were and I was so fortunate because on the days that we dived the visibility was over a hundred feet and we were like wow I know it was so beautiful and um we were so lucky because we were only like maybe 50 feet like the water was only 50 or 75 feet deep so like you know even if I were sitting at the bottom of the ocean, like I could see the surface, which is bonkers because like you're so deep in the water, but you can like see the surface. So like I, um, was totally fine with that because I could see everything around me. So like we could see the reef and we, you know, saw like a little reef shark and, you know, fish everywhere, which was cool. Cause we're like counting fish. We, they gave us like a, um, like a lesson on like how to classify the different types of fish if we weren't sure. 
um, because there are some people uh, in our grad program who are teachers who are um, also getting their master's in zoology. uh, So they maybe didn't take as many like animal biology or animal physiological like courses, you know, when they were getting their degrees. So it was like some brush up things and then we would go out and, you know, get in the water. Um, and on both of our dive days, think everything that we were able to see, because like, I think I would not have done as well in like helping assess the reef if I was like worried about, you know, the unknown, (laughs) (laughs) the unknown of the ocean, which like, so that was really nice. And then talking to a friend who was in the trip after us, they got to see manta rays, which like, oh man, but the visible, incredible. incredible. But then the visibility she said was like, not great. So gotcha. I was like, okay, I will trade not seeing manta rays for feeling very <laughs> safe in the immensity of the ocean right. for someone with a fear of deep water. So that have was... you ever been to the Georgia aquarium, by the way? Oh, no, but Okay, so it's like on my list, you know, and I just like want to do all yeah. the things. And now we're so, mid. Yeah, now you, well, it's open. So, you know, well, you have yeah. to be smart. But yeah. um, it, uh, it. So when I went there the first time, like I said, I the I just go time? to places. Yeah, I've I've been four times. <gasps> Tour, tours go to Atlanta a lot. It's lovely. I bet. Um, And so um, the first time I went there, I had done no research on it. Mm. I did not know I was going to have a chance to get to Atlanta on that Mm -hmm. tour. Uh, A lot of times if I'm playing near somewhere, I will just rent a car and go. So it is very last minute and very spontaneous. Mm -hmm. And um, so I had heard about Zoo Atlanta. And so I bought my ticket for Zoo Atlanta and I went there. And it's a really nice zoo. But And this was even before their Africa section opened up. And it was like a smaller zoo. Mm -hmm. You know, so I was hanging out at Zoo Atlanta and I was like, okay, this isn't an all day thing. I should Google and see if there's like an aquarium or something. I did not know the Georgia (laughs) Aquarium existed. Oh my God. So I'm like, oh, hey, there's an aquarium. Nifty. I'm going to go to the aquarium. Oh my God. And I did not look at the website at all. So I had this experience of walking in turning a corner and you're in one of those like tank bubble things yeah. where you're walking through the tank. Yeah. And I look up and there is a freaking whale shark directly oh, right above, above me. And I oh. just, there were tears in my eyes and I was like, what is, what is happening? What is my life? And then there was another whale shark and then there was a manta ray. Oh and gosh. I was like, I, I wanted to yell at everyone in there. Like, don't, don't you know how rare this is? Don't you, why aren't, this why, is are some amazing. Of you guys, why are you looking at your phone? Get off yeah. your stupid oh phone. My gosh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It was, I've had so many cool experiences and I've gotten to meet so many animals and have these amazing experiences mm-hmm. just from being in this community. I don't think I've ever had a moment hit me harder than turning the corner and hey, having an unexpected yeah. whale shark. I, I don't think many people can say unexpected whale shark but the next yeah, time you no. go to zoo atlanta i know someone so hook you oh, up who do you know um her name's danica she is it danica who works with red pandas well iggy who's gone now but and also the giant panda yes it is yes so she is going to be the fourth episode of my no way. Uh, podcast oh yep. my gosh i went down and interviewed her all about iggy uh the red panda oh my gosh okay she um, and i are on the azac national safety committee together Okay, I don't know what that is, but that's awesome. We can Tell talk about, about that, that too. So, um, <laughs> AZAC is a zookeeper organization, American Association of Zookeepers. 
Okay. Oh, um, A-A-Z-K. Yes. I've never heard it called the A-Z-A-K Oh, A-Z-A-K. Okay. But, A-A-Z-K. Um, Nashville yeah. Zoo has a, um, like, a separate Instagram account for their Yes, they do. I actually started that Instagram, I think. Oh my gosh. This is the, okay. So since I've started doing this, uh, the Instagram I started a little less than three years ago. Mm -hmm. And then the podcast, literally the trailer is out now and the first episode drops tomorrow. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, since doing this, I have found out that this is the smallest community oh, man. in the yeah, world. Boy, is it. It's amazing. <laughs> I can't believe like you started yes. that and you know Danica. Oh, and my this gosh. is just incredible. Yes. I love Danica. She's so great, she's, isn't she? I'm yeah, she's amazing. The the remembering Iggy episode is I'm so proud of it. It it is so sweet. I can't wait to listen. Um, and she's she's so good on it. Okay, so you did uh New Zealand. Yes. Mexico, Mexico Australia. Australia. So what was your, your fourth travel, your third one with Project Dragonfly? <laughs> Number three with Project Dragonfly was Costa Rica. So we were looking okay, at um, cool. rainforest ecology and um, the cloud rainforest, cloud forest. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Super cool. So what, what did you do there? Um, we did a lot of um, like walking around the rainforest, looking at how they are doing um, like community-based conservation. So getting... Uh, people in their communities involved in, you know, replanting trees in schools and um, protecting areas of the rainforest and helping everyone realize, you know, how important it is, not just for their communities, but like the entire world. Um, And we were super lucky. Um, Have you ever heard of a resplendent quetzal? I have not. Okay, so it's this really pretty bird that they say, and I was thinking about this sometime in the last week. Um, they always say that it's like super lucky to see one because they're really rare, or they like mm-hmm. they blend in too well and you don't see them. Um, but we ended up seeing like three or four while we were there. That's amazing. I actually met one of my like very best friends. Um, on that trip, um, who, you know, I, I still like keep up with people in the program, but like she, I talk to all the time and, um, we have like hung out a couple of times, but it is so weird because we're such good friends. But like I was telling her, you know, the last time we talked on the phone, like two or three weeks ago, and I was like, isn't it weird that we've only hung out like five times ever, but like we're such good friends. She's like, I think about that sometimes too. But I think that um, Project Dragonfly sort of encompasses, again, this, this, like, the feeling of the small world, like, that is the zookeeping community or, like, the conservation community, which, like, it really shouldn't be like us, like, everyone should care about conservation. But, like, those that are, like, knee-deep in it are so passionate that it's, like, easy to make those connections and feel so close to people, even if you don't see each other all the time. So you have a picture where you're just grinning so big (laughs) with an okapi. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I have a picture of me meeting an okapi for the first time where I have the same, like, almost stupid smile. Right. One of my friends, Rachel, commented on one of my pictures um, where I'm, like, smiling so big that I'm, like, squinting. And she's, like, too happy to see and it's like, yeah, I am too happy to see. That's <laughs> like, amazing. I also like feel like the first time I met a wombat in person while we were in Australia is like 
one of the happiest moments of my life that is caught on film. Like, there's a picture of it. Right. And I, like, once I saw her comment, I was like, oh, my gosh. I am too happy to see. Which, like, (laughs) I think is something that happens, you know, because I think animals, like, bring people joy. But, like, being able to see that, like, in a picture of myself is kind of wild. Right. Because, like, you know, you smile for pictures all the time, but, like, when you smile and you are smiling too happy to see, like, that is mm-hmm. when you know that, like... That's such a great way to it's put it. meaningful. <laughs> um, okay, so so you finished Project Dragonfly. Yes. And did you get a job right away? Was it easy to get a job? Tell me about that. So I interned the summer before my senior year of college in an outreach program at a zoo... So we were doing, you know, keeper talks or, like, telling people natural histories of animals and then also interpreting training sessions that keepers were doing with animals. So then I would be like, hi, guys, my name is Kara. Um, Welcome to the sea lion keeper talk. You know, I'm here to tell you about the sea lion, about what he's doing with his keeper. I'm going to give you a little history about pinnipeds uh, and also sea lions and the difference between a seal and a sea lion. And, you know, every once in a while, like, if you cannot see me, look to your left and I'm, you know, over to your left. Because a lot of times there are different viewing areas for an exhibit and you hear someone talking, but you don't know where they are. So it's like, got to remind you like, hey, and then if you have any questions about what they're doing, you know, uh, with the training session or about the sea lion or, you know, if you're looking for something else, you know, in the zoo, like, hey, come holler at me and I'll, you know, point you in the right direction. So it's like stuff like that. Um, and then animal handling. So um, some small species of birds, um, some reptiles, small mammals that, you know, uh, they were big on, you know, having unexpected encounters with animals around the zoo. So you could like, you know, walk into the reptile house and there's also a snake that you could touch if you wanted to. Right, right. Um, Where was this at, by the way? This is Cincinnati. Okay, so you you went back to Cincinnati. That's so great. So uh, interned right before senior year and then applied at the end of my senior year to work in that same department right out of college um, as a seasonal job. It was not full time, but I ended up getting the job, which I was super stoked about and then started working while I was still in school. So like March, April of my senior year of college, I was in classes four days a week at like odd times. And then I would drive to Cincinnati and then work four days. So like I'd have class early on a Tuesday and then immediately go to work Tuesday, work Tuesday, Wednesday, drive back to school, be at school Thursday, Friday, and then drive back and work the weekends. So everyone at the end of college was like, oh my God, I don't want to graduate. Like, thank God I have like six weeks before I start my job so I can just like chill and hang out. And I was like, oh my God, I honestly just want school to be over so I can just like go to work and not have to do this whole back and forth situation. Cause like as fun as senior year is like, I'm already working and you know, getting through the rest of college while like balancing work and school. And I was just like, I don't even get a break. Like (laughs) 
I get maybe the day after graduation, like off to move home. And then I start work. And so I was doing that um, five days a week. But then also I had three other jobs that first year out of college because that job was not full time. I was working 40 hours, but it was like a March to October job. And then we had November off and then we would work the Festival of Lights So, like, it was nighttime hours, which is weird to think about now. But instead of doing all of that during the day, we would do it at night when the zoo is open for, like, Christmas celebrations. Cincinnati has an amazing Christmas uh, lights. Yeah, their their Christmas lights is incredible. Yeah. Um, So, I was working at the zoo. I was refing field hockey. But then I also worked at a bakery selling bread. Um, And then I did overnights at um, the Newport Aquarium. Um, We made it work, and I tried to save as much money as I could. So that was um, an interesting point in my life. Wow, it was busy. But um, And then also on the days that I wasn't doing all those other jobs, um, it was nice because most of them were like after regular work hours, like the overnight, obviously, um, and like – Field hockey games are like, you know, six, seven thirty at night. Right. Um, but um on my weekends when I wasn't working, I was also trying to volunteer in other animal areas. So um one area on my Saturday and another area on my Sunday, like anyone that would let me volunteer with them to get experience around other larger animals, I was like who needs a weekend? Like, I'm here for it. I'll be here seven days a week. Like, that's if that's what I got to do, that's what I got to do. Um, that's incredibly smart. I've not had anyone else mention that. Oh, like, really? still volunteering once you're working. Yeah, that's really that's a great drive. It, that's awesome. I think I I was willing to do whatever. The way that I got into zookeeping is a little bit different because a lot of people do start interning directly in animal care. So maybe I felt like I needed to put in a little bit of that extra work in order to get the experience and also like get to know some of the zookeepers. So then when, you know, the next year rolls around and they're looking for people that are applying for their seasonals, it's like, oh, well, Kara's around and, you know, we know that she doesn't you know, like mess around, like she will do the work and, you know, she is helpful. Hopefully they feel felt that way. Um, so I was like, anything that I can do to prove that I, you know, can do the work and like want to, you know, be here. Um, I think I was willing to, to do. Yeah, no, that's incredible. That's, that's really awesome. Especially at a zoo that's as, you know, competitive and big and, and awesome as Cincinnati. Right. Yeah. That's very cool. Good for you. Thank that's you. That's awesome. Yeah. You so, should be proud of that. Um, I volunteered in Elephant House um, and the Wildlife Canyon and the Bird House. I would still go back to um, occasionally. Um, they had a lot of volunteers um, in there too. So, and then the new Africa section. I still volunteered a little bit with them um, while I was a seasonal in the elephant house. So I was able, very lucky, very fortunate um, to 
uh, get a seasonal job in the elephant house, um, working mostly with giraffe. Um, but I was like, I'll do anything. And giraffe yeah, are super great. cool. So like, yeah, hit me with it. Let's go. So that was great. Um, everyone nice. there is great. Yeah, no doubt. I have had some really amazing. No, I've had some. I've had some amazing experiences at Cincinnati. Um, a couple of little things, you know, where I got to be behind the scenes and stuff, and, mm-hmm. and just the people are just, just beyond the best. Mm-hmm. I, I love that zoo so much. Um, and so, so that was your first professional gig. And were you able to go full time there, or did you have to stay seasonal? I was a seasonal for three years which included the outreach and the elephant house. Um, It is very difficult to get a full-time job anywhere. Um, I think especially Cincinnati, um, they are a union. Okay. Which makes it harder to get a job there because everyone is like, nah, I think I'll hang out in the union. Right, makes sense. Yeah, you don't want to leave. Yeah. Yeah. So I was given the advice um, to look for full-time experience elsewhere is that was nashville your first full-time gig yes that's i mean yes. that's a pretty impressive zoo to have as your first uh full-time yes gig. i mean yeah. i was a little surprised um when i originally applied it was for a hoofstock position and then i interviewed and they were like well we have someone internally who has a little bit more experience um, but do you mind if i give your resume to another area that's hiring. And right. I was like, I mean, yeah, but do I have experience like in that area? Like my experience is giraffe. Um, so like if they don't have giraffe, I like don't know if I'm qualified. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, well, like I'll let her tell you. But while this was happening, like this exchange was happening while I was in Costa Rica for grad school. It's so like, oh, wow. I was, I got the, an email from Casey, this gal who worked in Nashville. She was like, Hey, Eric gave me your, um, resume. Um, would you be interested like in coming to Nashville for an interview, um, for my area? And I was like, sure. Um, am I qualified? Like, I feel <laughs> like at that point, like I shouldn't have been like, should I? I should have been like, oh, sure. You should have definitely been like, yeah, but no, I get <laughs> Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I was like, P.S., like I'm in Costa Rica. So like this 10 minutes, like right now that I'm responding to you is like the only time I have internet access. So like, right. I like, when you respond to me, like it won't be until tomorrow at whatever time it is right now um, to correspond, which, um, is going to be weird. And she was like, no, no problem. Like, what else? Like, we'll set it up, you know, go with what works. And then, you know, the, like, four days after I got back from Costa Rica, I was, like, driving down to interview in Nashville um, for a contact area job with kangaroos. Nice. And I was like, okay, well, I've, you know, seen a kangaroo. Like I've never visited Australia. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) I did not have enough money to go to the outback, but like I saw a kangaroo (laughs) and I saw wallabies, which like, so 
I was like, yeah, like, I would love to come interview. Like, I feel like I could learn, but I, like, don't necessarily know that I, like, I don't have experience, but, like, am willing to learn. Uh, And she offered me the job, which was, like, so nice of her to do. That's amazing. Um, And then I, and I think part of maybe the appeal of me or my resume was that I did an outreach I was just going to say, because their kangaroos are, are at that outback it's a, station it's a there walk is the walkthrough. Yes. Yeah, I so, love it there. So really someone cool. is on exhibit all right. the time talking to people, telling you about kangaroos, and also reminding you, like, stay on the sidewalk. And, right, right. You know, oh, yeah. I, I remember being told touch that their back. So um, that, I think, was helpful um, maybe because I – I don't mind talking again. I don't mind talking to people. So it might not be as appealing to someone who's like, I am only interested in working with animals and like the less interaction I have with people, the better, which like a lot of animal people aren't people, people, you know? Right. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, I like to think that I'm an animal person and a people person. So clearly are. (laughs) So it was appealing. And also I really liked being able to learn, something new. So I learned a lot about kangaroos. I think when I started, we had 20 kangaroos. Wow. Which felt like a lot. Um, but, um, at first I was like, oh my gosh, all these kids look the same. How am I going to tell them apart? (laughs) But then, you know, after staring at them for, eight to 10 hours a day, every day, then it's like, how can you not tell them apart? So when people are like, you can tell who that is without even seeing their face, and it's like, oh yeah, her, she, you know, her hips, she has a hip problem. So like right, even just right. looking at her hips, which was really cool. We had a um, human chiropractor, um, shout out to Dr. Pasco, um, would come to the zoo and do chiropractic work on one of the kangaroos. So she would get hip adjustments. That's amazing. So cool. So, so fortunate to be able to, like, see that, and then he would answer all of our questions about it, and then he actually, um, a couple of times, um, had gotten her onto, so she put her under anesthesia and put her on an adjustment table and, like, oh. adjusted her hips, oh, which man. she, um, had injured her hips, um, and... I mean, really, they were super off kilter. Like, you can definitely see the difference. Right. Like, in how she stands and how she hops. Um, So those adjustments, he would do, like, weekly, like, adjustments with the little, I don't even know what it's called, but, like, the little popper. Yeah, the little hits you in the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pop, 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 pop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's the technical term. Pop, 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 pop. yes. Uh, And then they would also do laser treatment on her hips, too. Nice. Which was super cool. So, um got to learn a lot of different things and then also um, train in a couple of the other areas. So they have a historic farm, um, which was really cool. Less interaction with the public, but on some days that's nice to just like, you know, be out in a pasture, you know, picking up cow patties instead. Sure, yeah. Who doesn't want to play with cow poop? Right. (laughs) So a good good mix-up. Um and then working with different animals and, you know, expanding the animals that you get to see every day and the animals that you get to work with. Um, and then from there moved 
um, after about a year and a half to the hoofstock department, um, which I feel like... And that... That's like where you wanted to be? Yes. Or is that I, Okay. I, I feel, so we need to we yes. need to stop here for a second. Okay. We need to have a very serious <laughs> Okay. Because I have spoken to a bunch of zookeepers uh, both <laughs> on here and just in life. And the one thing that no one has ever said to me is, you know what my passion is? Hoofstock. <laughs> Give yeah. me a cow, y'all. I, and so I need to know what's going on here. I need I to know think, what's up with that. I think it's a special area to want to work with because like a lot of people are like i want to work with carnivores or like i want to work with birds or you know what reptiles and amphibians that is for me but i really always loved i loved working with a giraffe as a seasonal that was super cool because you never realized how tall 17 15 feet is until you're standing right next to it and you're like, wow, right. my neck hurts because. <laughs> See, I feel like, I, okay, so I feel like giraffes don't count as hoofstock. I mean, I know they technically <laughs> are, don't get me wrong. Right. But most people think of them as like Africa, African animals, which right. they also are. Yeah. But so, like, that's not your main focus when you do hoofstock, though. You, um, you've worked with a bunch of animals that are the ones that a lot of people, or you do work with a bunch of animals right. that a lot of people skip. At a zoo or, right. or wander by. And we are yeah. going to super get into that and you're going to make them fall <laughs> in love with these animals. So I'm excited about that. Okay, great. But, but what was it that brought you to hoofstock? I think because they're not always motivated by training or interaction with you because I feel like you have to like earn it a little bit more because like primates are always super interested in you. Carnivores right. are like... What are you up to and do you have food for me? Whereas like a hoofstock, any type of hoofstock, whether it be, I mean, I feel like horses are domesticated, so that's a little bit different. But like sure. exotic hoofstock, like most of the time are not interested in your presence whatsoever. So the idea of working with animals that are like mostly indifferent to me, <laughs> it's like kind of like a challenge where it's like, I'm going to make you love me. <laughs> like, I, and I'm like, I'm going to bribe you with snacks until we, like, until you see me and you like maybe walk towards me from a distance or like, oh, she might throw me snacks. I like the idea of like having to earn it a little bit. Whereas like once you gain their trust, then they might be interested in like target training. Like if they've never done anything we're never been interested in a human's existence or like, you know, like my being around you has never been interesting to them. But then like being able to like train an animal for an ultrasound, which is like something that I've gotten to do, which has been really cool. Cause like that was with the red river hog, which oh, I um, love them. Oh my gosh. Aren't they so great? So, so good. Um, she there are some that are a little bit more personable and like, you know, want to be around people. She was like, I want snacks from you. And that's about it. So like figuring out like the snack that she likes the most and then feeding it to her. And then she's like, Oh, okay. Well like, sure. But then having her like feeding her in a way that she presents her side to you when she like all the time is like, you can see my face and that's it. Like, I'm never going to, 
I'm not, you can't see my side because that's like right. a vulnerability and I'm not interested in that. Um, and then getting her to like present her side to a door and then like allowing someone to touch her side in order to do an ultrasound, like while she's getting fed, like she was never interested in doing it like without the reward. But, but that in itself, like getting her comfortable enough with that was like such a reward because she was, I mean, snacks or nothing and that was it for her. Right. That's really interesting. So I think. That's kind of cool that you like the challenge of it. Yes. That's a unique take on that. Well, and then I, I feel like even if, even if they don't really care about my presence, like I love them enough for both of us. So like something that I always do, like no matter which like exhibit or animals are on that exhibit, like I feel like I always like have a like say something different to them like when they're shifting onto exhibit so like um as they're like walking onto exhibit it's like okay like have a good day I love you like make good choices be kind to one another (laughs) (laughs) and it's like I know that they don't understand me but like putting out the good vibes to be like have a nice day like I'll see you at the end of the day when it's dinner time no, that makes sense. I mean, I think I, I think there's enough evidence that like just the way that you interact with animals matters and that even if you're right, they can't understand that you're telling them to make good choices. But um but but they do get the vibe and I think that's really cool and I think that's that's important. And the cranes specifically for so my area in Hoofstock in Nashville was the Africa mixed species exhibit. So it had Eland, Zebra, Ostrich, Bonnebok, Springbok. Um, and then for a little bit, there were um, crown cranes, um, which had trouble shifting on and off exhibit. But that's so when we there were four lady cranes, um, all with different um, uh, singer names, like hair, like 80s hair singers. So we okay, did who'd a, you have? Tina, a Tiffany, a Cindy and a Debbie. Yes, that's so, amazing. Like they're like send off at the end of every day. I'd be like, okay, good night. I love you. Like be nice to Tina. Because like <laughs> Debbie and Cindy like weren't always the nicest to Tina. <laughs> she and, and Tiffany would hang out together and Debbie and Cindy would hang out together. But every once in a while they would like forget about food and then just like be mean to Tina. And it's like, no. Nah. Leave Tina alone. So it's just like at the end of every night, it's like just a reminder to be nice to Tina and I will see you tomorrow. <laughs> or like whenever That's it's awesome. whenever it's my Friday, I always say to all of the animals that I work with, like, have a good my weekend. Because like <laughs> I won't be here tomorrow. Like you're here every day. You get to go out on exhibit and like hang out and every day is new and exciting. But like I won't be here. So like have a good my weekend. Because like they don't know what a weekend is. Like every day you know, is exciting and new, but like, you know, they get, they get to hang out on exhibit, but like I'm at home. So like, see you when my weekend is over. (laughs) And I think that's awesome. I don't know if other people say that or not. Cause, um, one of my coworkers, like when I first started was like, are you not going to tell them to have a good weekend? Like, I always expect you to say that. And I was like, oh, well, I haven't gotten there yet. But, like, yes, have a good my weekend. <laughs> She's like, I just have never heard anyone say that. And I think it's kind of weird. But also, like, now I expect you to say it. So if you don't say it. And I was like, no, no, I will say it. I just. Yeah. I will say it. I will not forget to tell them to have a good my weekend. That's right. very important. Or, yeah. like, if I know I'm, if I'm going on, like, a longer vacation or, like, if I know someone else is going on a vacation and be like, okay, like, have a good her vacation. 
Like, she will see you. <laughs> like, that is a really a adorable way to put that. I love that. <laughs> so how long were you at Nashville? Uh, almost four years. Okay. And yes. then you left Nashville for a yes. smaller zoo. Yes. And um, I'm just curious what, what led to that decision. Nashville's very expensive. I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. If, I've spent some time that in Nashville. Is, um, on anyone's radar. Um, but it was just getting a little too expensive for the money that we make in our field. So I. I always also felt like I I never felt like I was going to stay in Nashville forever. Okay. Um, maybe because it was the first place that I worked that wasn't the zoo I grew up going to as a kid. Um, so that it just never had the level of permanence that Cincinnati sort of felt to me. Sure. Um, but I, I think ultimately it was like, okay – I'm wondering if I can afford to do this job in a city that is growing so quickly that, like, we can't keep up with how expensive it is. Right. Well, there you have it. Karis had an awesome journey to her current job, and I love the depth in which she shared it in this episode. You can check her out at K-A-R-A-M-C-3 on Instagram. The next part of the interview gets into more about her current job, some of her favorite animals, some thoughts on conservation, and, of course, the ever-present Rasafari poop story. Until then, make good choices and have a nice my weekend. Well, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed making it. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan Burke and John Rossi. Listen and subscribe on any podcast app. Please take the time to leave a review as it helps other people find our podcast. You can find Rossafari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Rossafari, on the web at Rossafari.com, or email me directly at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.